0: Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is
1: Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. Welcome back to Learning Made Easier. This is episode 122 how to get students to participate in online discussions. When you're teaching a class online, discussion boards are a common tool. But what do you do when students don't participate? In this episode, we'll talk about the different reasons students don't participate and some solutions for those problems. We'll also provide some tips for students on how to get better at doing discussion boards. We'll also provide links to the various sites we've used as research in the show notes. Some reasons students don't participate in discussion boards can range from the technical to the personal. For some students, the discussions are intimidating or overwhelming. For others, it's the learning management system that stymies their participation. The main issues we found in the literature include technical issues, expectations,
0: and etiquette, relevance, personal reactions, timing, and boredom. So when it comes to technical issues, the students might be having technical difficulties because they're just not familiar with how to use the discussion board system. They may not know where the discussion board is, or if they do find it, they don't know how to respond to it. And this isn't only older students, although that's the stereotype. We tend to assume that younger students know everything about being online and they know how to use a discussion board no matter where it is, but they often struggle with a new system or a new way of responding to their classmates. I mean, come on, the learning management system is nothing like Twitter or Instagram. Expectations and etiquette.
1: The expectations are unclear. Students don't know when to post, what to post, what should be included in the post, or the deadlines. There may be no guidelines for discussion etiquette, what's acceptable and what isn't. Without these guidelines and expectations stated clearly, students may struggle. Relevance. Students don't see the discussion boards as important or necessary for their success in the class. Sometimes this is because they can't see how the questions are related to the goals of the lesson or the class. Other times it's because the discussions aren't given a grade or credit toward the class grade.
0: And then there's personal reactions. Students might feel offended by the course content or by a question or by classmates views and responses. And this can be a touchy space to navigate because a student whose religious or political views are challenged by course content, they might find that offensive, but that's not the same as a student saying offensive things like racial slurs in a response. So this is going to be an area where professors kind of have to do a case-by-case evaluation of the thing that offends the student before they address it.
1: You've also got to consider poor timing of due dates for these discussions. If you have students who are working, set your due dates up for the weekend and be flexible about them. Most of us as professors, we aren't terribly aware of our students' lives off campus. We don't know what our students do or don't have to do. Should also mention here, try not to schedule discussions when the due date would coincide with a student's religious holiday. My own personal classes, I tend to keep my discussion boards open through the end of the semester, and that tends to allow students to respond to prompts and student responses as they're able to and as they want to throughout the semester. Some of these discussion questions are prompted by stuff that we just come up during our in-class discussions, and they raise really my students raise really good questions, and I'll post them so that students can respond. It gives them a chance to participate in the class, but i also don't try and limit when they can respond until.
0: And then there is reticence when students are just reluctant to participate because of various fears they have, like they're afraid they're going to look stupid or they're not sure of what they know or they really don't think they have anything to contribute or they're just afraid that they're going to be incorrect or they're going to make a mistake in front of everybody. They may also feel really inhibited by classmates who post more or more often or earlier than they do. And so they may respond in really shallow ways, such as, I like what you said, or I agree, and they don't go into any depth. And then finally, there's boredom. A lot of students don't see the point of doing a discussion board. They just see it as busy work, especially if the discussion is always set up and run in the same way every time. While doing it that way provides structure, it doesn't allow for creative or personal expression, and that can discourage a lot of students.
1: So how do we deal with these issues? Here are a few ways to address the things that keep students from participating fully in discussion boards. For technical difficulties, give students a way to practice during an orientation period so they get familiar with how to do a discussion board. Link them to tutorials that will help them understand your learning management systems discussion board. Create an FAQ, create a FAQ page where common student questions can be posted and answered.
0: And then for expectations and etiquette. First, make sure that it's clear how to get to the discussion board and its guidelines, because a lot of students will otherwise wander all over the LMS and going, where do I go? I don't know where the discussion board is. Make the links very clear. Make it obvious where to click. Another thing, and this is something that I admit I don't do as much as I should, become strategically involved in the discussions as a leader and a guide not trying to overpower the students or take over the discussion, but just encouraging the discussion. So respond to all student introductions, introduce yourself to, follow up on all questions either privately in an email or publicly on the discussion board, and respond with questions, affirmations, and feedback on their posts and comments, and really just model how to respond for your students. If they have an example, it'll make it clearer and easier for them to do it too. Another thing to do for the expectations and etiquette thing is add a rubric that has concise expectations. You know, what exactly do you want students to do in their responses and their comments? Provide them guidelines and expectations in the rubric for both posts and responses. For example, my rubric for going on a discussion board is pick two questions and respond to them. And here's a link for how you're supposed to respond to different kinds of questions. We'll talk about that when we talk about question stems a little later. And then respond to two of your classmates about two other questions, so by the time you're done, you should touch four different questions and two other people. Yes, I still have students who will respond to the same classmate twice or respond on the same questions that they answered themselves, but that's usually in week one and two and by the time they hit week three or four of doing discussions. They've more or less solidified in their head okay four questions and two classmates and that's what they know to do.
1: You also want to provide a set of etiquette guidelines for interactions on the discussion board. An example from Turo College is provided in our show notes. It contains items like, check to see if your question's already been answered before you post it, right? No one wants a question that's been asked and answered, whether that's in law or on a discussion board. Stay on topic. Please don't type in all caps. And I know some people will use all caps because it helps with their eyesight. It's easier to differentiate the letters. But on a discussion board, typing in all caps comes across like you're shouting at whoever is reading your point. On a related note, don't write anything that can come off as angry or sarcastic because there is no tone of voice in a discussion board you don't know and you can't assume that people are going to read your sarcastic comment in the tone that you intended. So if you're unsure, don't put it in the discussion board. Be polite. Say please and thank you when you're talking and asking your classmates for some help. Respect other people's opinions, even if you don't agree with them. The list from Turo contains 15 guidelines. These are just a sampling of good etiquette for online discussions.
0: When we get to relevance, First thing is to associate a grade with posting to the discussion board. Students will be more motivated to do things that affect their grade. So it doesn't have to be a big grade. You don't have to go in and like grade for content and grade, did they have the right answer? Just give them a complete, you know, they get one point for finishing the discussion board. If you have 15 discussion boards over the course of the semester, that's 15 points towards a hundred points of grade, right? So, you know, don't, Don't go into too much depth. Don't treat it like essays you have to grade or you'll go crazy, but associate a grade with posting to the discussion board so that students will be motivated to do it because they want their grade. And then the other thing is develop open-ended and thoughtful questions that actually stimulate students into analytical thought. Guide the students to go deeper. Guide them to think critically about the subject matter. Guide them to apply it outside of just the course. How does this apply to the real world? And find ways to show how the questions relate to the goals of the lesson and or the course, because that will make it more meaningful and more relevant for the students as well. For
1: personal reactions, sometimes students get offended by content posted on message boards, and as professors, we have to be on the lookout for that. But when students are offended, give them permission to take a breather if they see something, if they need to take a few days before posting again, offer that. Let students know to email you before responding on the discussion board and say, I'm offended by what so-and-so said in today's discussion and this is why. Let students know you expect them to take disagreement with others as part of the course, but if someone is being truly offensive, they're swearing at a person, they're using slurs, they're using personal attacks, then you as the professor, will address it as long as they point it out and explain why they're offended. Also, make it clear that some things may seem offensive are actually differences of opinion and that students need to show how the, how the offense violates the stated etiquette guidelines of the course. So we're not talking, when we say offensive, we're not saying, hey, you brought up something I really disagree with or, hey, I think you made a bad point. We're talking about cussing a student out, calling each other idiots, things like that. You don't want that, right? You wouldn't take that in an in person classroom. You don't want to set up that tone for an online discussion.
0: Another thing that's an important thing to do for this is look through the discussion boards on the daily and just preemptively remove offensive posts and comments and have a stated penalty for violating class etiquette guidelines in your syllabus so that a student whose post disappears will know, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, I'm in trouble because my post was removed and now that's not a good thing. You want to keep students basically aware of the fact that they are in a discussion board, they are writing something that is going to stay for a while, and they need to be careful about how they come across. Now, when it comes to that timing issue, make sure you put due dates on weekends, make sure that they're flexible due dates. Students probably have other responsibilities like work or caregiving. Those generally don't interact well with strict due dates. And of course, right now, at least while we're recording this, the COVID pandemic is still very much a thing. So make sure that your due dates are flexible, that they're not sitting on, say, a student's religious holiday, that they're not you know, unreasonable. If your student is working a nine to five job or You know, an 11am to 8pm job, they probably won't be able to make your 5pm deadline on a Tuesday. So don't set up unreasonable deadlines like that. When it comes to reticence, there's several ways to address student reticence and the first one is create smaller discussion groups, instead of requiring all the students to participate in the discussions with all their classmates. Let them have just a small group and that's where their discussion happens, because only having to respond to four or five other people, as opposed to 30 or 50 or 200 other people. That can make a real difference to a lot of students too many of our students still feel that spotlight effect that feeling that everybody's looking at me and everybody's judging me and everybody's laughing at me. And if you can reduce the number of people, they have to respond in front of that often reduces that spotlight effect so that it's manageable.
1: You also want to contact students who don't participate via email and encourage them to participate. See what's going on with them. Are they participating in other ways in the class? If they are, maybe they just don't want to add another way of participating, and that's fine. But if they're not participating in online discussions and they're not participating in other ways, sending them an email can show that you care. It can show compassion. It can be something that a student needs and doesn't know they need contact students who may be overpowering the discussion board and encourage them to wait a few days to respond so their classmates also have a chance to speak. And if the same thing happens in in-person classes, when you have people who dominate the discussion that makes other students a little quieter. So you wanna acknowledge, hey, I see that, you've got, that you're making points, I appreciate it. Let me call on someone else, give them a chance to speak as well, and then I'll call on you. Now you're just doing that same thought process online and respond to overpowering students with comments like, hey, you're giving great insight. I'd really like to hear from others in the class about this issue as well. Or that's one perspective. What do others think about this? To encourage reticent students to respond as well.
0: Now finally, boredom. A lot of students say, I don't like writing out my answer. It's very uncomfortable. Let's be honest. A lot of students are uncomfortable with written work. And a discussion board is not where we should be policing their writing right it's just a discussion board. it's just a comment thread it isn't their final essay or their final research paper where that writing would matter more right, we need to allow them to be a little more informal in a discussion board. And so, one of the ways that you can handle that is allowing students to respond with videos images or sound files, as well as written responses. You could ask them to go to YouTube, record a three minute response to a question, and post the link here. Or you could have them find an image on Google Docs and share a link to it as a response to a question. Allow them some creativity, allow them some flexibility. Because if you give them a chance to do things that aren't just the same old, same old, I'm writing yet another discussion board response, they'll probably be more interested, more excited, and more engaged.
1: Some ideas for students who need to do discussion boards include develop a thesis. Yeah, we know we just said it isn't a term paper, but if you have a clear argument, if you have a clear thesis, that's going to help make discussion boards a lot more interesting and a lot less painful for you. Develop a question if you have one. Maybe you don't have an argument to make, but you're really curious about a theory you learned, or you came across a news story and you were curious how something you just learned in class could explain it. Keep your posts short. Write a post of no more than say two paragraphs. Longer posts make it harder to respond clearly and they can come off as a wall of text and no one wants to read or respond to a wall of text. Be willing to change your mind if someone provides evidence that your position is not supported or is unclear or is incomplete. Learning is what happens when we make mistakes and do a course correction. Making mistakes doesn't make you a bad person, it makes you human. And it's okay, it's a good thing to be human. It's a good thing to make mistakes as long as we learn from them and then make new mistakes and learn from those. When you respond to someone else, Don't just say, I agree, or I like what you said. Explain why you agree or why you like what the other person said. It adds depth and value to the conversation that you're having.
0: And ask questions that will extend the discussion, not shut it down. So try questions like this. What reasons do you have for saying that? Or why do you agree or disagree on that point? Or how do you define that term? Could you clarify that statement well what follows from what you just said and what alternatives are there to what you just said these are all great questions that allow your classmates to come back with well what i meant when i said this was that or well i agree with this point because or i suppose that this and this are alternatives to what i said it forces everybody to think a little deeper dig a little deeper do a little more analytical thinking like we mentioned earlier and Frankly, when I see students asking questions like this as a professor, it really impresses me that you're going that deep. And feel free to disagree. Just do it respectfully and support your disagreement with evidence. Don't say, oh, you're a stupid head. You know, say, all right, well, I can see where you're coming from, but there's this new evidence that came out in research that we read in this class that shows that's not actually true. You know, one of the most contentious discussions I ever saw was a discussion in a uh, juvenile delinquency class where we talked about corporal punishment and does that create kids who are more likely to be juvenile offenders? And a lot of students took it very personally and they were saying, well, my parents spanked me and I turned out fine. And there were several students saying, yeah, well, no, it means you turned out you know, to be somebody who thinks it's okay to hit little kids. And so I stepped in and I said, okay, let's look at the research. Here's what the research said. Now, there were still a couple of students who said, well, I don't agree with the research, but they couldn't provide evidence. And then their classmates called them out on it and said, if you don't have any evidence, it doesn't matter whether you disagree because you need to have evidence to back up your disagreement. Some of the most effective learning comes from disagreement because it requires us to look at a topic from more than one perspective. It forces us to look at it in a way that we might not have looked at it before. And sometimes it forces us to change our minds. And that's actually a good thing.
1: Work to keep the group together, build each other up, and you build each other up by giving positive feedback to your peers. Make jokes, just don't make them mean at your classmate's expense. Avoid comments that could be sarcastic or insulting or that need tone or facial expressions to mean what you say because it's really hard to convey that when you're just using text in a discussion board. Make sure you label your emotions that you're confused or you're disturbed by the content, for example, or this content explains something that you hadn't thought about because that doesn't necessarily come through when we're just reading responses to a discussion board. Be aware of your emotions. If you have an emotional reaction, especially if it's a negative reaction, you're upset, you're scared, you're angry, you're offended, to a message or to a prompt, wait before you respond to it. Give yourself a breather, give yourself time to think it through, breathe deeply, come back to it with your emotions under control. Email the professor and say, this is what's offensive to me and here's why. Sometimes that might mean waiting a day or two to respond.
0: Try also to stay concise and clear And again, be respectful. If you wouldn't say it in the classroom, don't write it on a discussion board. And finally, be open to hearing new ideas and new perspectives. And this goes back to being willing to disagree. Also, be willing to have others disagree with you. Don't take that as, you know, an insult just because they don't agree with you. Find out why. Ask them for evidence. Provide your own. Have a discussion. So we've talked a lot about how teachers and students can use our suggestions, you know, we just went through them. So we'll just give you a bit on our own experiences with it. And then we'll finish this episode. So discussion boards are really important tools in online classes. And one thing I found is it is good to give students similarly structured questions and then a guideline for how you expect those different kinds of questions to be answered in every discussion board. So like, here's how I expect you to answer a a question that says compare and contrast. I want to see a way that these two things are similar, a way that they are different. And then, um, you know, and I want a definition of each of these things. That's what I want to see in a compare and contrast. Or if I ask you to discuss it, then what it means is give an overview. You know, tell me the main points of this thing. That's a discussion. Or if I tell you to explain it, then tell me how it works or tell me why it is the way it is, right? So I try to give guidelines for each kind of question they might see and then let them choose. You know, give a list of like 10 to 15 questions and then require them to answer, you know, two or three and respond to two or three classmates. In our COVID-19 episode 18, we discuss how to create discussion board question stems using Bloom's taxonomy. So that might also be really helpful in creating your discussion questions. So go look at that episode and we'll link to that episode in the show notes as well. I also, when we're talking about etiquette, this is the other thing I wanted to discuss real quick, I post a policy about it in my syllabus, which goes beyond but includes discussion boards. And the penalty I give is the first time a student breaks the netiquette policy, then they have to have a chat with me. And if they do it again after that, then every time they do it, their course grade goes down one full letter grade. It's a really tough policy but it has kept students from doing things like calling each other duty head or worse words in my discussion boards. I've rarely had a student break the policy.
1: I started using discussion boards when we shifted to online learning in spring of 2020. And I use discussion boards as one way, but not the only way of participating in my classes. My students can participate in my Zoom lectures. They can email me and it's gonna sound weird, I created more work to try and reduce stress because my thought in using discussion boards was finding new ways and as many ways for students to learn to pass my class, to maybe take their mind off of things going on. And it was a way to try and keep students who might otherwise lose interest in the class, stay engaged with it. And I tell my students, I tend to grade my discussion boards pretty simple. It's credit, no credit, or they get a point for uh, participation, but that point only comes if they're being thoughtful. And I'd like to give my students a lot of credit because my students have consistently been very thoughtful. They've been respectful toward one another. They've been engaged in the classes. And I know it's been tough, but it also means that discussion boards are, like Adam said, they're a really, really, really good tool to use, especially when you're teaching online. I think even when we go back face to face, if you have discussion boards as an option for participation that's going to allow shy students, uh, meaning students who don't like to speak in person because of that spotlight effect, and it's going to give them another avenue to engage with the course material, it's going to give them another way to pass the class, only good things can come by incorporating another option. So that's what we have for you in episode 122. If you're finding this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. We're always hoping to get new subscribers so we can help more people. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Android. We're hosted on Blueberry.com. Also, we'd really appreciate it if you wrote a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts.
0: And be sure to join us next week for episode 123, when we'll look into ways to stop procrastinating.
1: You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap.
0: We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible.
1: If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash learningmadeeasier. And we look forward to seeing you next week.